Namaste. So we start this session on pain and suffering. I think uh, this is a subject of universal interest and uh, it can be approached from many angles. But before we speak about uh, the cure and how to deal with suffering, let us first understand the various kinds of suffering that we as human beings experience. So, there are various levels at which we can experience suffering and uh, accordingly we can understand that, you know, the different types of suffering. One of course, which is very, very obvious, which we all experience is the physical suffering and you know, various kinds of pain, various kinds of due to diseases, illnesses. And we all know its role in, it has, it serves its purpose. It's like, it gives us a signal of what is wrong, what is going on within us. It reminds us, it's like a reminder that all is not well and we need to take certain measures. So to that extent, we can understand that pain is a kind of natural corrective given to us so that we can understand where things are going wrong and we can take an adequate measure towards it. It applies also to psychological suffering because the moment we experience pain, we suffer whether it be in everyday life, whether it be in workplace, whether it be in a relationship. It is an indication that all is not well and we need to do something about it. So to that extent, pain and suffering are a reminder from nature, it is like a boon which reminds us of something which is amiss. So the second kind of suffering we experience is psychological. And here we can have a whole hierarchy, a whole range of kinds of suffering that we experience. We can experience the most primitive form of suffering as where we want something and we don't get it. So there is a gap between what we want and what we have. And also the limitation within our capacity to have it. So there are three aspects of it. One is there is a want. Second is there is a gap between what we want and uh, what we actually have. And third is it's not just a gap in terms of a distance, but also there is a limitation, there is an incapacity in actually having it. So this is a most early form of suffering that we experience. Most human beings go through it. And this is the kind of suffering which Buddha refers to as the suffering born of desire. So it is this desire to find something greater than ourselves which we don't have. Now, very often the remedy suggested for this kind of suffering is to come out of desire. But, I mean, it's like, it almost annuls. It's like cutting the knot. But if we really go to the root of desire, we will understand that basically desire is one of the ways that we want to expand, grow, increase. Desire is a means by which we want to increase upon anything. Now, if we have the right way of knowing how to increase, how to expand, then probably we can come out of these inferior modes and find the true way towards fulfillment. Through desire, basically we are seeking delight, we are seeking fulfillment. But desire is a response in ignorance. We think that by this particular object we can feel the sense of fulfillment. But after many such havings, gettings and losings, we begin to realize that it's not objects. It's not this which is going to really make me fulfill. But there is something else and that something keeps eluding us. So often I use this story that, uh, you know, about... Uh, 
desire and how it leads to a kind of learning curve and how even desires become ingrained like a conditioning it's not that all desires are not even real desires they are fabricated inside because we are seeing everybody run after something so the story is of a, a person who makes a visit to a place where people are depressed and uh, you know they see a man who is crying out constantly uh, usha usha i hope there is no usha in this group so he is crying out usha usha but usha is good because usha is light so he is crying out usha 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 and they ask why are you constantly taking the name of usha so he says i am very unhappy why because he says i loved usha and i couldn't get married to usha so he says yes yes it happens life is like that we don't always get to you know as they say that famous thing ki kahin zameen to kahin aasman nahi milta so he goes to another few beds and there is another person crying out for usha so he asks is this another usha he says no it's the same usha so what is the problem with this usha he says well he got married to the usha that he couldn't and he is unhappy okay that also happens in life we think that we are going to be happy getting something and we realize that it is not this that we were actually wanting and this happens because of a very interesting psychological phenomena since we are at it that in a relationship or in an object our mind which is constantly desiring things imaging things we live in a world of images by the way so we project these images onto the person or a thing and we start believing for a while it's a game of nature that this is it but actually it's our own projection you know people do it all the time they do it even with with god they have this idea god is all loving all benevolent and it works very well till you know all your mannats are getting pura but the day we ask for something and it doesn't work out that's when we begin to question but actually that's when we grow up so it's a greater grace when god doesn't grant us something which we were desiring but uh, we have this conception that you know god will grant whatever i ask for now imagine how uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable god would be that 1 lakh people appearing for an exam are all praying to him at least 50000 are praying but seats are only 500 so obviously if he grants to everyone there will be chaos but uh, nevertheless uh, you know this conceptions that we have about life this uh, image that we have we play with images and this this is a big problem in relationship by the way because we have already thrown or projected that image onto human beings onto god onto everything onto life itself and when that image is broken then we get disappointed but frankly when an image is broken it's time to get real but uh, you know that that takes a long journey so then he goes the story continues and he goes a few beds away and there is another man crying out usha usha so he says now what happened to this man so he says well he doesn't know who usha is so why is he crying he is seeing the other to cry and he believes usha is someone very desirable now you see a lot of it is nothing but a conditioned response that you know if i get this this so it's like a big formation when we are born we are for, we are born in a state which spirituality is called in a state of ignorance and all our training education parents unfortunately teachers we all condition us to believe that if i get this i will be happy now the result is that we lose our natural state of happiness you see when you see children 
children don't need too many things to be happy all that they need is and it's very interesting what do children need the first form of happiness that children have and i'm sure uh, you know all of us are psychologists so we understand the famous experiments by uh, you know famous psychologists that what children need the first thing that they need they need just contact comfort they are happy if they just have their mama and their mama's contact this is what children are seeking for and if you deprive them of that and give everything else there is a kind of scarring which takes place almost for for the rest of the life even animals they seek contact comfort so all our life we are seek now if you translate this psychological phenomena into the highest sense what we are really seeking as beings who is the mother mother is the source that's how you know the the word used is contact comfort there is there is a big mama out there whom you know a baby feels comfortable holding for animals it's simply because they need touch they they are very sensitive to touch but we also need as human beings voice we need to see and we need various kinds of nourishment nature nurturing etc so there is in us something ingrained that we want to connect to our origin it's psychologically there we are as if programmed for that and all over life we are searching for it now when we are little child babies when we are born in a family we automatically feel that my physical parents are the one who are going to nurture and nourish me and they do they do their best but man does not live by bread alone and as we grow we have other kinds of nurturings and nourishment that we require and as we go through the journey if we are not satisfied only with material things we start looking for those other kinds of nurturing and the pain and the suffering begins to increase and change its color so from desire it takes another kind of you this same suffering it is the yearning for something which is much greater much higher much vaster then what my limited ex- existence can even conceive of so the difference is desire is something horizontal i want objects but deep within desire is a mistranslation of a longing which wants to climb up towards something much greater a greater existence human beings are programmed to evolve and when we don't do it we begin to suffer after a time you know this growth is something we are meant to grow at at all levels you know in children it takes the tendency of wanting to step into the adult shoes they don't know that it's not a very good thing to do i mean it's not going to make you more happy but children have this natural tendency they want to grow up they feel that if i grow up i'll have i can do all the things that adults can do now when adults grow up and they face the real world then they want to be oh you know i wish i retire and sit comfortably now when you sit retire and sit comfortably you are still looking for something greater now if we look behind all these movements it is basically that we as human beings have this innate urge to grow we are programmed to grow we are programmed to evolve and the gap between what we are presently and what we can evolve the possibilities within us is the deep cause of unease this is the deep cause of our suffering but it takes this form that maybe if i have this object it takes the form of desires desire and want for small little things then it takes the form of ambition then it takes the form of emotional hunger and we journey through this till finally we discover that it's none of these things it's not objects but it is the subject that we are seeking the subject itself within us we carry the source of fulfillment but that comes much later we have to go through several degrees of illusions disillusionment illusion disillusionment 
Now, if we ask why this, you know, constantly, why don't we learn in one, you know, we are poor learners, all right, but there is a logic behind it. Now, initially, if we all know that, you know, Shabindu described beautifully in Savitri the evolution of love. So, what do we initially want? We want good looks, charming personalities, something very external. Maybe, you know, the salary in the bank, uh, the job, the NRI status, and all those things. But as we grow, we know that this is not enough. So we begin to feel the need for an emotional connect. Now we may have an emotional connect, but we cannot share our thoughts. So we begin to seek something else, a deeper you know, sharing of thought, a companionship, a camaraderie. And then when we go further, we begin to seek a common ideal, a, a unity in a common ideal towards which we are both aspiring and this aspiration now goes beyond our limited frame. It's no more just a family but an ideal which is still, you know, it becomes uh, beyond the limits of our uh, small little earthly existence. And then we still go further, then it becomes a common aspiration for something greater and beyond. See, it's a very interesting uh, observation we all can make. I have studied communes, gone, I mean, I've seen different communes. And it's very strange that the kind of sense of belongingness people feel when they meet somebody with a common aspiration towards a common goal is of a very different quality altogether. You may not know each other. You may not even know sometimes the name, what is the background, everything. But there is a strange connect. And this connect is fortunately without many of the strings that are attached in connections unless we, you know, start forming strings and then the problem, you know, we go back to an inferior mode. But essentially, this desire self is a mistranslation in ignorance of something still deeper and that deeper thing is longing, yearning and so on and so forth. Then there is another kind of cause uh, or the kind of suffering that we experience and that is the suffering born not of desire but of ego. Now what is the suffering of the ego? Ego is, what is ego actually? It's a construct of nature. But it's so real, so tangible. Now, it's a limited field of personality, limited vibrations of nature, limited movements, uh, a way of life, if you may say, with which we get attached and we think this is me. Now, when I think this is me, there is a natural tendency to shrink away from what is not me. There is, you know, a simple example I may give that two people living under the same roof and both have very different thoughts, very different kind of constructs in the mind. Now ego is a construct and they feel very unhappy. So people have a tendency again to form groups where you know you, you have a kind of strengthening of the ego structures. But life is not that because we have to expand beyond all structures. We have to go beyond all constructs. So this sense of the ego where there is a holding on to the limited personality, this instinct for survival of this limited personality uh, one is of the bodily self and the second is of the psychological self, the limited ego personality, is another cause of suffering because anything that challenges it, anything that pricks a hole into it, you know, a simple thing that two people are discussing and we have our belief systems and when somebody challenges our belief system and even if it is very rational and logical, it tends to hurt us because it's like me. And how can me be, you know, I don't want to see myself vulnerable. So this ego self is the third cause of suffering 
which we all experience in life. But deep inside, there is a fourth kind of suffering. All this uh, suffering of the ego self, desired self and the physical self are sufferings which are born in ignorance. And the, the cure for them is very simple. Grow out of this structure into something which is deeper, truer, real. But there is a kind of suffering which I see these days more and more people experiencing and that is what can be called as a spiritual suffering. Now spiritual suffering is born out of two reasons. One is that there is within us a spiritual self and this needs to actually explore itself. It needs to express. Now there is a period of growth in which we are not aware of it and till then life is well comfortable within its comfort zone we are like the bird who is well fed looked after well there is the parrot in the cage and you know you feed it uh, that mirchi and uh, chana and the parrot is very happy now a day comes when the parrot begins to understand it has wings and that's where problem starts because the bird now wants, it has a natural instinct to fly out of the cage and enter into the vastness of the sky. It is challenging, it is frightening. But at the same time, it is born for that. Now, as long as it is not aware that it has wings, it is happy with this comfort zone. But the day it becomes aware that it has a greater possibility. And many of us in today's generation, I see many youngsters who come, they are feeling this suffering because they are feeling inwardly stifled. They don't even know that there is something which wants to express itself. It takes a vague form initially of an ideal and later on it takes a more and more concrete form of you know going beyond, beyond the frame of this and they, are, they know that within this frame I can't get what I am looking for. So it takes various forms and they, feel, they are misunderstood. They feel strangeness. One of the kinds of suffering they experience is that they come, they meet people but they feel very strange. They feel the world is a strange place. Because this is a new type of humanity which is emerging. So there is the uh, suffering which is a spiritual suffering. But even when the bird expands, there is a fifth kind of suffering that intervenes. And that is very well uh, you know, explained in this uh, famous story, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I am sure most of us have read it. So this is the suffering of the bird which flies into the sky and looks down and sees that its own kind are crawling on the ground. They can fly and it wants them to fly. It knows the joy and the riches and beauty of the flight. But when it comes down, nobody is ready to believe it because they believe that, no, 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 this is enough. Uh, I am fine within my boundaries. And this is another kind of suffering, the suffering of a Buddha. Of course, we use the word suffering, but uh, you know, for want of better, better term. But it is also a kind of suffering where you engage with your deeper self and enter into a state of freedom but you want everyone to be free and this comes because we are not just individuals but we are also a collective being now the moment we step out of the boundaries of the ego we realize that this conception of me and mine and this and that goes away we are one being one reality one totality and there is a natural tendency for everybody else to come up to rise to climb uh, unless we are moved by a very selfish desire towards nirvana, which is of course a very misguided kind of mysticism. So this kind of an expansion of consciousness creates another element to, uh, to the kind of suffering we experience, where we cannot feel really the fullest joy unless everybody else is uplifted. 
Now I'll give this example of this uh, last one. We all go and enjoy. Let's say we are enjoying a, a nice um, a mountain climb. You know, people love to go to nice, beautiful places. Now, do you enjoy when you go alone, or do you enjoy when there are two, three, four? The joy multiplies, isn't it? This tendency to multiply the joy into many is the original impulse of creation. If you really look at the now, we we go to the ultimate original impulse. The impulse to creation is as you know we see in the Upanishads, ekoham bahushyami, the one wanted to become many. Why? Because there is a multiplication of the delight of one into many. Also, there is the expression of love. There is the joy of union. There is the joy of longing. All these kinds of joy. So this need to multiply our joy is mistranslated into the ego self as the need to have my own kind, the ego kind. It is again a mistranslation. Just like desire is a mistranslation of the deeper inner longing, so also the need to multiply this freedom, this joy. Now this joy and freedom of the higher kind, of the spiritual kind, are not the joy and desire of the uh, of the ego self multiplying its own uh, type of you know its own surname or its own religion, its own uh, caste, creed, etc. Into many. It's a mistranslation of a deeper reality that one who is free inwardly has this natural urge like Buddha that others be also free. So at different levels we see this suffering uh, experienced by human beings. Of course at the highest level it becomes compassion. It is not suffering in, in this sense but there is a deep compassion and that's why men like Buddha, Sri Shri Krishna, many others great saints and sages they have leaned down to earth to lift up humanity and take it to its higher level. They didn't need to. They, were, they, they had entered into freedom. But it is a natural impulse and extension because ultimately you begin to realize the whole earth is a single unity. So why does all this suffering come, come about? Now this comes about primarily because we experience life in a limited way because of the sense of finiteness. But deep within we know that life is not limited, it is infinite. You know this is a great, uh, very interesting thing. Even if you look at... Uh, Anything in creation, we will see there is differentiation on the surface, but there is unity behind. And if we enter into the state of unity, many problems will be solved. Take for instance, simple issue like language. Now what is the common language of humanity? Now we fight over languages. How did language evolve? It evolved from the state of common experience, the bhava that everybody you know goes through. We are all one in our divine origin. So similarly, on the surface we have differentiation. The more we live in the surface consciousness, we live in the sense of differentiation. And this differentiation can go to absurd level. Differentiation between the color of the skin, black and white, between this and that, between all kinds of things. But the deeper we go, we begin to discover the sense of unity. So this sense of limitation that we experience is directly proportional to the degree of suffering. Now this limitation which comes because of our identification with the finite self is of three main kinds and one is the limitation of knowledge. We know that when we uh, grow in knowledge, we, many of the causes of suffering are taken away. Take for example, you know people used to suffer from night bl blindness, the black plague of uh, 13th or 14th century. Now during that time people were you know, out of ignorance, they said it's a curse of God. 
as if God is capable of cursing. He has no other business except cursing. And so it continued. But knowledge expanded and people discovered it because of a very simple thing. And you can cure it. Now at a very physical level, or people who suffered from night blindness, they discovered it's not a karma. It is simply that, you know, people are suffering from a deficiency. So knowledge is one as we grow in knowledge, we can take away many causes of suffering. Even at a physical level. If we grow in knowledge, for example, now a lot of people are suffering out of fear of the, you know, the pandemic and all this is going on. Supposing we developed a kind of knowledge that these cells, our human cells, which are far more evolved than a virus, are actually capable of making the right response. Supposing we grow into this knowledge that all illness including cancers and all infections, is a habitual conditioning of these cells. But actually our cells are capable of responding to all the various challenges and conquering them. Now this knowledge itself is literally, it. and actually if we look at even biologically, we, if we go deeper, 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 we'll discover that, you know, basically each cell is totipotent. But differentiation takes place and so... We can go deeper and we can discover more and more knowledge. Now knowledge, uh, the definition in spiritual terms, knowledge is that which eventually leads to oneness. So there is vidya and avidya. So there is uh, a kind of knowledge which is called as ignorance in spiritual parlance because it's limited knowledge. So it's knowledge of this, that, all separately. But there is another kind of knowledge where we discover the deep one essence of everything. Now if we discover the deep one essence, it is very curative. It connects us straight to the root. Uh, you know, this is very interesting. We have this uh, wonderful hospital here called Jipmer. So, Jawaharlal Institute of Postgraduate Medical Education and Research. So, once I was there signing a memorandum of understanding with the director and uh, other members of Shirobindo Society. And I just casually happened to ask them, Ki, do you know that mother has given a message to Jipmer? And they didn't know that there is a message like that. <laughs> So, they said, what is it, what is it? I said, mother gave a message, truth cures. It's a very strange message. Truth cures, how does truth cures? Truth cures because, well, lot of suffering, lot of illness comes because of a falsehood. Now, what is falsehood? This belief that I am a limited creature. And it's so much conditioned, right from birth. It is like a great gift that we receive. You are this, you are this, you are all this limited being and it is reinforced through percentage of marks that we get as if that is a sign of our you know who we are now the day we begin to understand now what is the key of spiritual practice see in spiritual practice we decondition ourselves how we start with the same process by which we had got bound from childhood we are made to realize or believe that I am just this little body. I am just this little body. We must take care, take care. So between us and delight we put so many bars. Now spiritual practices start in the reverse way. It starts by saying Soham Asmi, Aham Brahmasmi. I am the divine. There is within me that divine being. And the more we start dwelling upon ourselves with this idea of course a bhakta would do it in a different way he'll say that I'm a child of the divine so you know it literally would in the face of any challenge uh, whether it be you know covid or whatever vid uh, I don't know why they have covid because vid means knowledge so what kind of vid this is I don't know but you know the essence is that the day we realize 
Why am I afraid? You know, two very interesting stories. One is of Swami Vivekananda when, you know, he was chased by monkeys and his first impulse was to run. The second was, I have been all the time living this inner consciousness that I am Brahman. How can I be afraid of a monkey? And he turns and looks at the monkey and the, now it's monkey's turn to run. And Sri Ramakrishna told a very interesting story in this regard of a lion cub which was brought up by the animals. You know, we have this lovely film also. I think it is Jungle Book. Um, it's a very interesting movie. Uh, very fascinating in certain aspects. So now this lion cub is brought up uh, with the sheep because the lioness has died while delivering the you know, cub and it has grown up. It believes that it is a sheep. It bleeds, it is afraid, it eats grass. Till one day a huge lion attacks the flock and it discovers this cub bleating and pleading. And then this lion says, why are you bleating and pleading? He says, please spare my life. And then he takes him to the little stream and says, look inside who you are. And he looks at his reflection and then the big lion looks at his reflection and this lion. And Sri Ramakrishna says very beautifully, then the mighty lion tells the little one, now be free, you are the king of jungle and roar. Now this is a kind of understanding that we are all divine beings having a miniature experience. See, it reverses the whole position. So the, the difference between let's say spiritual psychology, you know, Indian psychology and the kind of modern approach. I don't want to use the word Western because there are many movements which have started there also. Is that, what is the basis? Now in Indian psychology, we have the Ashwat tree. The roots are above. So fundamentally, we are divine but limited and conditioned by our human apparatus, by a limited mind, limited life, limited body. And But because fundamentally we are that, we can enter into that. The other kind of thing is, I am basically a limited being and all that I talk about divine is nothing else but my mind creating images, coloring, hallucinations, etc, etc. It's a whole reversal of viewpoint. Now, the moment we take it, uh, I am not going into the whole logical premise, I can logically argue this out that why the first proposition that we are fundamentally divine is more true, more real, more consistent with, uh, you know, irrational thinking. But nevertheless, this is the basic difference. So, this is where we have to understand that this finite limitation of knowledge is because that's how we have learned to condition ourselves. We have never learned to enter into the consciousness of vastness and it's not just theory. Actually, our how does our mind operate? The limited finite mind. It operates by uh, observing through the senses. It analyzes the data, infers, reads, has belief in similar systems which have developed along the lines of rational analysis and then it acts according to that. Now, everyone who has gone beyond the range of the limited human mind knows that there are ways of knowing which are very different. There is inspiration, there is intuition, there is revelation. But what are these things? They are flashes which have been uh, expressed in the life of seers, sages and saints and we tend to disregard them because we say, oh, this is an anomaly. But see, what happens in nature? Anomalous is the sign of what will become the next normal. Okay, so these flashes of intuition we see in the life of seers are not anomalies. They are the sign, precursors of what human beings are destined to evolve into. 
That is the direction. They are a promise that we are meant to discover modes of knowing. Just like human beings have discovered modes of knowing that are non-animal. Animal knows through an infrarational instinct. We know by reason. Plants know not even by instinct, but they have a knowledge required for their own species. Even atoms know by a kind of involved something that what they need to do. So there are ranges of consciousness beyond human and our journey is not complete till we reclaim those lost portions of infinity. And that's why we suffer because we inwardly know we are meant to reclaim it. So we are never satisfied in our den. That's why one term which goes very beautifully with human beings is that what were our first types, our great great ancestors. I am not talking of the chimpanzee and the orangutan but we were called nomads. And even now when you see the primitive form of people, they are nomads. They are going here and there everywhere. And that's why we see many stories with a promised land. So on one side we are nomads as if we are looking for something. At the same time we have the promised land, some place, some state of consciousness, some domain where we can reclaim, yes, this is what we are. And you know, that's where mother says that our true domicile is elsewhere. And we have the Bible story where man is described as a fallen being. Fallen from some state where knowledge is spontaneous, delight is spontaneous. So we can reclaim it and the way to reclaim it is the way of yoga. And you know, there are, this is a whole subject in itself. So we have limitation of knowledge. The second limitation we encounter is not just knowledge. I may have the knowledge, but limitation of power. Can... Can we reclaim an infinity of power? Yes, we can. This is the second teaching. So we have in Indian thought Vedanta, which is about reclaiming knowledge. This is liberative. The moment we reclaim knowledge, then a lot of suffering is eased out because we know it's play of the one. Many people, the experiences of hatred, jealousies, possessiveness, selfishness fall away because we live in that consciousness of one. But we need to also reclaim power. And that's where we see there is Tantra. Tantra is about reclaiming power, which we have lost. But what is the problem between our present state and reclaiming of power? Our natural instruments do not allow it. Because our natural instruments are tuned to a very limited amount of energy. So we have all spiritual practices where we have awakening of kundalini, awakening of chakras, awakening of greater levels of power. So our human system has to be tuned towards getting that kind of power. But because we, it's not easy, we don't even look in that direction. So how do we want to reclaim power? There are people who will tell you, you know, I have a number of the chief minister on my cell phone. I know the local police gunda. Sorry, I mean the local police wala. <laughs> I know the henchmen. I know this person, that person. It's a very ignorant way of trying to reclaim what we have lost. Whereas actually what we need to and we can reclaim is that we are children of the divine mother. You know that original power, the supreme transcendent shakti. Imagine can there be any fear when we live with that state of consciousness? What will be impossible for a human being who lives with that state of consciousness? Now this is not just theory. It can be done and has been done or is being done. Only we have to upgrade our system because that onrush of energy we cannot uh, tolerate. So that's why in spiritual practices we will see an emphasis on things like peace, equanimity, detachment. Because if we are too involved with this little play, we are not ready to reclaim these lost, uh, you know, there is the uh, famous story of uh, 
the three men who were rowing a boat whole night, when they woke up in the morning, the boat hadn't moved an inch. So the boatman came and said, what happened? He said, we were tired rowing the boat, but it didn't move an inch. So he said, but fools, you have kept it tied still to the anchor. You have to take it off. So it's like, you know, you tell someone that there is a beautiful scene out there. Come, let us climb. He says, wait, wait, wait. Now, if you remain waiting there, then you will never have that scenery. That's why we have this wonderful saying in the Ishupanishad, Tene tyaktene bhunjita. By renouncing you would enjoy So this renunciation is not a very Otherworldly oh life is very bad I am so disappointed Let me renounce Take a kamandalu and walk away No The renunciation is renunciation of the lesser For a greater delight The renunciation of the lesser joy For something much greater which awaits us The renunciation of lesser modes of knowledge For something much greater So that's why quietening the mind Brain stilling rather than brainstorming All these processes So that a deeper consciousness A greater, a higher consciousness Can awaken into us It's very logical But if we remain attached to the inferior mode of being The inferior play Then we will have suffering There is no way Then we have to rely on pills and well Whatever else So basically it's the growth of consciousness So there is the limitation of power Along with limitation of knowledge There is another thing which is very limited in us And which we all know It is the limitation of the delight of existence You see this delight Which we see running as a sap in whole creation But in us it has become into Dual terms Joy and sorrow So when people say that You know you have to come out of pleasure and pain Joy and sorrow It sounds very boring at least some joy we have doesn't matter Along with thoda sa sorrow Thodi khushi, thoda gam We get one joy, we get two sorrow free We don't mind So people feel that when we renounce it We enter into a blankness No, joy and sorrow are degradations of the original delight When we experience that delight when We don't need it Because we have the original stuff Sri Ramakrishna would say very nicely That you know, uh, you can't uh, leave sweets uh, Which are of an inferior kind Unless you taste the real Raskadam or Rajbhog or whatever it is You know the real original one Then you won't feel like eating it So there is a phase In which we have to leave this inferior play And there will be a passage Transition And then we enter into the higher mode of play In the higher mode of play We are no more moving Within a limited magic circle of nature Which is called ignorance and living within it, we will get pain. But we have entered into the flight which will take us to expanding horizons of infinity. It's not that immediately we'll touch infinity. We can, but it'll be difficult to live on those heights. But we will start knowing that we are free from this magic fence. So ultimately in spiritual parlance, if we go to the root of it, why there is pain? It is the batch of ignorance. And why it is there? It is there to remind us that come out of these limits. Experience limitless knowledge. Experience limitless power. Experience limitless delight. Experience limitless love. Experience limitless sweetness. Limitless freedom. And that is the state that human beings can reclaim. And till we do it, some kind of a suffering or the other will pursue us. So essentially the whole thing is, all suffering is a way to Come out of a limited state into a vaster state. Now, what is its pragmatic thing in everyday life? See, in a relationship, people suffer. And if we look at it, they say, okay, there was expectation. 
now you know this is a word which has started coming then they use the word unconditional love now who can do unconditional love unless you go deep within and touch your core why do we can't we all know it but why is it that love is always tainted with expectation because we are not getting what we want from within the day we get what we want from within we won't need it from outside we'll just give we'll be a giver we don't need anything because we are open to the very source of love it is only then we can you know the word like unconditional love which is a wonderful word i agree that love by its nature is unconditional self giving but we cannot practice it within the limitations in which we are laboring the day we step out and connect ourselves with the universal consciousness and beyond it the divine consciousness we won't need from any human being we will receive endlessly in fact it will be like receiving back will be like it's okay we don't need it <laughs> just take it receive it of course when you receive there is a double joy triple joy it multiplies but love as such is not dependent on that same with delight we don't need from anything external so basically we have to understand pain as suffering as incidents in man's journey we start from utter unconsciousness this like a you know wide summary then we can take questions we start from a state of utter unconsciousness where there is no pain no suffering it is the state of comfort zone of matter completely bound there is no pain no suffering then starts pain and suffering like a reminder that this is not ultimate and this pain and suffering takes a step to step to step we stabilize at one level then again suffering comes to remind us of the imperfection so suffering is a reminder of the imperfection and the limitation in which we are presently living so then we go another step another step another step till we discover that within my consciousness i can enter the limitless now when the consciousness enters into the limitless state infinite power infinite knowledge infinite ananda we are fundamentally free from suffering but and there is a but here but if we take a human body matter is imperfect we again enter into that state now this is the last part of the divine project so there have been beings who say how does it matter forget the matter matter never matter <laughs> so it's like matter is like a pot break it go into that vastness but that's a little little bit selfish it makes uh, god look like a fairly foolish person who didn't know what he is doing when he created this material existence now the next part is this suffering comes because of imperfection of matter and it's possible for this greater consciousness to keep on needing matter to keep on impressing itself upon it till matter also evolves and matter experiences spontaneously the knowledge the power and the delight of existence this is the final leg of the divine project going on upon earth and this is when this happens then only we can have what shurbindo calls as a divine life upon earth because otherwise we'll have a very beautiful consciousness inside wonderful inwardly free but we'll still have matter experiencing its limitations and therefore we'll still be subject to disease we'll still be subject to at least some kind of a physical suffering even though we can be above it and we'll still be subject to death but when matter itself will be divinized then the whole thing becomes wonderful can it be divinized well obviously this is what we are seeing happening every evolution is a two step process or rather a three step the challenge 
coming from outside this challenge leads to a state of suffering and pain and i have given several examples in several of the talks one of them which i love is the mudfish example which is a very peculiar creature neither comfortable in the water nor comfortable on the land much like many of us no we are entering into a state of new normalcy within our group people say ah very good we are our own normal but talk to conventional people they are all you know little bit <laughs> loonies <laughs> so this is a state of abnormalcy because we are to discover a new normalcy so you know we are like the mudfish caught up between this and that so this is the first step then the next is we make an effort to discover the new normal and this new normal we discover first inside this mudfish discovers it can breathe for few moments this air in this vast world so that's why mudfish wants to live in that water where its you know uh, gills will begin to change into some kind of lungs so it takes its enjoys it jumps out and ah so nice but it cannot endure so it plunges back so we are like that mudfish for some moments when we sit in meditation oh it was so good so beautiful as we step out somebody tells us that you know this is what has happened your credit card is blocked and suddenly you know the mudfish goes back into the water and there is again the pain and suffering which starts now this is the story but the third step which we see the entire evolutionary history this mudfish doesn't give up the effort it jumps comes back jumps comes back till one day it begins to live as an amphibia on land and water equally comfortable and one day this creature which is on land and water can fly can soar into the sky so this is the journey whole earth is an evidence of this that you know this is the evolutionary journey and till we undertake it fully we'll go through some kind of a suffering or pain it's an evolutionary pressure it's a it's meant to help us go we start from absence of suffering and pain because of unconsciousness we will reach into a state where there will be no more suffering and pain because of super consciousness so let me close with some of these lines from savitri uh before we you know take questions it's uh, one of my favorite lines on page 632 yes <clears throat> page 632 from savitri or rather i'll turn to page 631 where shurbindu speaks about the hidden blesses which is at the root of things and it leads to the seeking after joy and since it is imperfect there is pain as a backlash to remind us that this is not yet perfect but not forever endures this danger game beyond the earth but meant for delivered earth wisdom and joy prepare the perfect crown truth superhuman calls to thinking man at last the soul turns to eternal things in every shrine it cries for the clasp of god the shrine is not outside every body is the shrine of the divine so everything that we meet body is not just human body it seeks the clasp of the 
of the divine. This was the aim, this the supernal law, nature's allotted task when beauty drenched in dimmest waters of inconscient sleep. Out of the void this grand creation rose. For this the spirit came into the abyss and charged with its power matters unknowing force. In night's bare session to cathedral light, in death's realm repatriate immortality. A mystic slow transfiguration works. All our earth starts from mud and ends in sky. And love that was once an animal's desire, then a sweet madness in the rapturous heart, an ardent comradeship in the happy mind, becomes a wide, spiritual, yearning space. A lonely soul passions for the alone. The heart that loved man thrills to the love of God. A body is his chamber and his shrine. Then is our being rescued from separateness. All is itself, all is new felt in God. A lover leaning from his cloister's door gathers the whole world into his single breast. Then shall the business fail of night and death when unity is won, when strife is lost and all is known and all is clasped by love. Who would turn back to ignorance and pain? So this is the whole journey of man. And we should remember that when pain comes, we have this tendency of saying, when there is no pain, everything is granted. We say, God, thank you. We should learn that when all the doors are closing, it is a greater thank you because it means he is clo- opening an inner door. But we are looking at the closed doors and not looking at the door which is opening. So this is where many of us probably are counsellors and psychologists. And it is our role to remind that there is an inner door. Don't forget that. And let me close with this story of uh, King Parikshit about this inner door. You know, he is told that within a week you are going to die. It is prophesied. And he doesn't know what to do. So he calls 911, the ambulance dog. He's a king after all, no? So all the doctors, everybody beck and call. Soothsayers, cephalogists, palmists. They all say, sir, see, destiny we cannot. <laughs> destiny is destiny after all. And then he turns to a wise sage and he says... Uh, Parikshit, what is your problem? He says, you know, I am going to die. He says, no, death is not the problem. What is your problem? He says, I am terribly afraid of death. He says, that is the problem. Your fear is the problem. What if you knew that death means nothing? He says, yes, maybe if I know what death is, I will be free from death. But how do I know? I have never died. So the sage says, I have died. Died to the ego and discovered what is beyond that. And that's how the story of Bhagavat is born. That while we are living in the realm of death, we can discover the immortal, the eternal and the infinite. And if we can do that, all fear, all limitation, all suffering, all pain, everything vanishes. Even within a trice, one simple exercise with which I can live. Whenever we feel this deep pain inside, see this is a long journey, finding the soul, entering into it is very good to listen as a you know larger landscape and we should undertake it some point of time. What do I do immediately? I am caught up in my hassle. What we should do immediately is just widen by conceiving the boundlessness of space. This we can try any day. 
Imagine, you know, the, the boundlessness of space. Billions of light years away. Orion, Lyra, sailing into the infinite sky. Just for a moment. Boundlessness of space. And contemplate the endlessness of time. That we have lived millions of years behind. Ages humanity has passed. It's gone through many evolutionary curves. Ups, downs. Massacres coming back again, empires, and it has years, decades, centuries ahead to complete that curve. Now, when we contemplate the boundlessness of space and the endlessness of time, you will see that this whole journey of life is nothing but fraction of a moment. And while we are engaged with the fraction of a moment, let us remember the journey that we are yet to take and move towards it through giant leaps and godlike steps thank you yes so uh, i can't hear anything uh, i mean <laughs> i'm deaf and dumb so some questions i think if you message we can i i'll take it up that way because that's a easier way So three kinds of suffering and I am glad this has been brought out because there is a kind of cause of suffering which I uh, didn't touch upon because it comes in a different domain. Uh, so we have the physical suffering which we all understand and we have the psychological suffering which is desire and ego self which creates psychological suffering. Let me explain one more before I come to the third one. So the two and a half one. And behind this little world which we experience there is a network of forces. I have Touched upon it but purely from a psychological angle, not from an occult angle. And they impinge upon us, make us do things which later on we repent. That why did I do it? You know like the great king Dasharath who gave that boon uh, to his wife. That ask me whenever, whatever. And she said, okay, I'll ask you at my own time. And you know that led to so much uh, needless suffering. So there are forces, cosmic forces, cosmic agencies uh, which uh, yogis are aware of. Uh, which act from behind and push us to actions. We think it is my action, my feeling, uh, my wish and we say, oh, I want to do and be whatever I, I want to. But not realizing this want and wish is driven by forces of which we have no idea. And there are very huge cosmic forces, even without any reason. I see it every time uh, in my clinic. Um, every time means not every day I am encountering it, but abnormal states of depression for no reason at all there is nothing outward but people go into states where they have spells of crying and uh, you know it's what is called in yoga as the attack by the hostile forces they don't want us to let free from their net and they will weave a web of thoughts and suggestions they will make us feel helpless hopeless they will snatch the will and faith and eventually take us on the brink of despair, abyss and eventually lead us to suicide. But this is not what I was speaking of when I spoke of the third kind. But since I have this moment, so I am using it. Third kind is the spiritual suffering. And it is of two kinds. One is there is within us the urge for infinity. Something within us. Unlike the animal. Animal is happy within its circle of its den. Even a lion doesn't want to venture into the city. It's very interesting. It's so powerful. The lion, the elephant, but they don't decide. They, because nature has 
uh, you know they are called as asanya mrityu the the deity within which it comes from infinite is still sleeping inside but in human beings this inner something this divine spark begins to become awake so deep within there is in us a seeking for infinity now till a point of time when it is still half asleep cradled this little baby is cradled inside what is called as the soul within man till then we are happy seeking outward things but when this soul begins to become aware this little baby says but this my home i am the king that's when there is a feeling of stifling inside we are driven by dreams which are very unusual we seek things upon earth we seek perfect love we seek perfect joy we seek perfect truth because this deity carries within itself the imprint from the future it carries within it itself the touch of the origin so it dreams of those things you can't help it it's the sign that a human being is inwardly getting awake but there are people who don't have this they are very satisfied and comfortable with roti kapda makan but the day this inner self begins to become awake the spiritual self call it the psychic being the soul it doesn't matter uh, words are really not important but man carries within himself something which is intrinsically imprinted with the divine essence and that divine essence when it begins to grow it naturally seeks divine in everything that's what we are reading it seeks the clasp of god so it starts with this idea that in world everything is divine but every time it is hit by its opposite and it itself cannot know it like where will it find it but there is in it a seeking so it feels stifled and this is another kind of suffering which i have used the word spiritual suffering it's because of the stifling of the inmost being of the soul in man in fact it can lead to tremendous suffering in the gita goes on to say swadharmo nidhanam shreya par dharmo bhayava there is a mode of expression that this soul is born with but this original file is corrupted we are driven into actions uh you know works which are not meant for our real growth the demand of the soul and therefore we suffer even though outwardly we succeed any number of people i see who have got everything that they wanted in life but they are unhappy because they are not following the original script of life which is hidden right in the heart so the measure of our unhappiness is the sign it's a barometer how much we have deviated from this true truth of our being so this one kind of spiritual suffering and this another when we have discovered the soul the soul is freed from ignorance but it seeks sees its fellow souls trapped who doesn't even want to come out and the only example i can give is that imagine that you love someone very much mother loves a child but the child takes on to wayward ways it takes on to drugs takes on to alcohol things which will make it suffer and the mother knows that this path is going to hurt him more and more but the child is not ready not willing to listen and the mother suffers why does she suffer she suffers more than the child by the way strangely paradoxically she suffers because she is now no more herself but extended into the child something similar is spiritual being experiences when he is awakened when he is out of the shell of the ego there is a natural tendency to want this whole world to awaken to the beauty of the future it is like somebody who has discovered a diamond and wants the world to see it says that all your poverty can be eased out it can be cured 
we are suffering from an incurable littleness but nobody is ready to listen or willing to listen of course times are changing now but that is another kind of suffering that is spiritual being experiences so this last suffering the spiritual suffering is of two kinds one is the deliverance of our own individual spiritual self from the uh, prison of the ego and the second is it is delivered but now it suffers because it wants the deliverance of the collective self and this is the that's why it is the term used in indian thought is nar and narayana so you know the narayana is the indwelling universal within nar so first by delivering this self from within the true purusha nar has many meanings it is also used in the form of water but i have very simple take on this nara the purusha all of us have within us the true self which is like that and all the rest is nature prakriti when we discover it we truly become worthy of being called a human being that's a great deliverance but how can we be happy only with this individual deliverance we would want everyone to share this happiness savitri says it very beautifully imperfect is the joy not shared by all so this tendency to extend this delight into the collectivity and the resistance we face because matter is imperfect because human beings are not ready all this leads to another kind of level of suffering which someone like buddha and many of the great masters yorbindo and all of them experienced uh, but that more than suffering it is like compassion which leans into which even enters into this dungeon again to liberate and uh, it suffers because of that so this is the second first question another one can you share the aspect of attachment in suffering yes attachment is a mistranslation of love so attachment is of the ego attachment is when we love for the sake of our own self and i use this example for the sake of our own ego i use this example when you know somebody we love love dies dies again because there is nothing like death from the deeper angle but departs what is in it us that suffers if you really look at the person he is on his journey he has forgotten either which way we see if we don't believe in a soul there is no need why we should suffer because you know dust unto dust if we believe in a soul we take it that it's an onward journey he is not going to suffer he is freed from this cage we suffer who are left behind why do we suffer because we are attached attached to what to a limited personality which we mistook for the person so attachment is a ignorant way of recreating unity it is you know when people are attached they are attached to a personality and outward that's why very often you know uh, i ask this question when people say that you know i am in love so i ask them what are you in love with then the person narrates qualities and this and that this is a little tricky thing because qualities may change appearances are bound to change but true love true love starts is a very formless essence the day you say i really don't know but i feel something deep within me stirring you may be bang on the target because that's how it's a universal energy force power which is moving us but the mind thinks that it is this body this form this personality that is attachment attachment is a movement of ignorance which is taken by this great energy of love and this ignorant movement is 
is bind itself to a very limited formation and also it loves that ignorant formation because it gives it joy but true love is something very different so cure for attachment is not detachment detachment can be a phase but cure for attachment is true love and true love means setting the soul free never rule anybody's thought or try to control somebody if we are trying to do that it is not love by its nature love sets the person free and yet stands supports in the best part is always there very difficult but we are born to do difficult things why should we do easy things <laughs> so this is about attachment and love attachment is a mistranslation in ignorance yeah Yes, very interesting question. Is menstruation a habitual conditioning? Yes, it's very interesting. See, why does menstruation come? Because uh, nature wants to, uh, it has programmed. You see, all the tendencies in human beings programmed to uh, conceive. So there will be, because nature wants to prolong its inferior game, so there will be sexual desire almost around the time when there is conception possible. You know, most of the women will feel the urge around mid-term. Uh, and then they accumulate iron because supposing the conception takes place you will need immediately to multiply hemoglobin but supposing it doesn't take place then the body tends to throw out so this is the way it operates in nature now there is a very interesting change taking place when will it cease in women before that let me come to men this need for maternity having a child is actually again a mistranslation of something else it's this need to extend into another being. This physically, this need to, you know, hold on to something which is very external. Now, there are more and more people I know in, um, in modern age who do not want children. Very consciously, they don't want children. There are some very rare couples who are looking beyond merely marriage for having a child or having sex. So the day human beings experience the joy of union without these things, without... Entering into the purely animal mode of, you know, pleasure or whatever to have a child, slowly this will go away. But there will be a phase when this impulse is going to die in human beings, but um, human beings want to get over it, but it is still there and it takes the form of extreme pain. Because it's a dying impulse, it's like something which is writhing to go away. Now, it's very interesting, even in men it is taking place. If you see the world over, it is uh, interesting that on one side, 100 years back, if you see, uh, human beings were like almost, there was a free sex movement, not 100 years, maybe 60, 70 years back. So people were very worried, what will happen if there is free sex? Now what has happened is now, we see that there is a recoil of nature, there is an increased cases of impotence. It is coming up. Because nature will begin to dwindle that impulse. So the day this sexual energy which is engaged in a purely animal way. I, I use this term which in one of my talks in All India Institute uh, I had said that the energy which we use for procreation and recreation changes into the energy for new creation. This will cease. The pain will cease. 
a point of time will come when even the cycles will cease even if it continues the pain will cease the cycles will dwindle there will be very little loss because this urge for uh, procreation and recreation goes away because this energy has become what is called in spiritual languages urdhavaretas that seed is turning upward so in human beings also the union even at a physical level modes will be found without actually engaging into the kind of sexual uh, indulgence which becomes very animal like it will be another way where two beings don't have to physically uh, you know actually have this uh, whole physical act but at a very different level they can fuse together and give birth to a new energy a new consciousness which is what is the true offspring this what we see this is this is a great secret which we see in shiv purana and some of these ancient tantric literature of course humanity on the whole is very far away from this so we are talking of something you know maybe 100 years ahead or 200 years ahead but this is the future so we'll see also men and women coming close to each other in terms of their physiognomy this is also happening and all these are new impulses in nature towards creating a unisex not unisex in the sense of third sex but a being which will be free of this does it mean there will be no relationship there will be but it will be the masculine type and the feminine type not dependent on the physiognomy one may be a man but feminine predominantly one may be a woman and masculine predominantly all this is going to happen in the future but we can see the first signs wo kehte na bacche ka paon palne mein dikhta hai so the signs are emerging of cutting beyond the boundaries of physical gender towards something which will transcend gender and yet the masculine and feminine because they represent a truth of ishwara and shakti it will remain but it will be modified so it will not be all this reproduction uh, menstrual cycle and even physical sex and all this will go away in some there will be a large section of humanity which is more closer to animal which will need it but there will be another humanity which will be lifted up towards a new creation and in the transition you will see these phenomena like even vanishing of menstrual cycle by the way lot of uh, now uh, we see that actually very normally there are some people uh, or rather a number of women in whom the cycle ends very early 40s puberty starts early so all these changes are taking place it's just a question of time and as i said in men importance taking over so that forcibly nature is turning this energy you have no choice but to turn it into higher and higher forms but that's nature's game plan we can do it very consciously turn this energy which goes into wanting a child a baby and you know a purely physical relation turn it upward into something more sublime something more beautiful a love between a man and a woman which can be truly beautiful very friendly with a deep bond of intimacy but without necessarily you know uh, this uh, animal mode a more human a more divinized love god god like love so it's possible and uh, there are people who are like that yeah this is a phd level question by the way looks very simple though <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yeah see detachment from suffering is not a difficult thing i must tell you it's a question of practice right now our consciousness is involved into something but we need to 
just learn to step back now how to do it is a very simple process let us say when i am reading a book i am fully absorbed into it now suddenly if my child comes so the first tendency is don't disturb right but after some time we realize oh it's my child and you are attached to the child so what you do okay 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 beta wait so you keep the book and you engage with the child so instead of using the word detaching from the physical let's use the word attach ourselves to something which is uh, you know much vaster so people for instance who are living in the mind who are attached to thoughts and ideas who play with ideas very often they become oblivious of physical suffering there are people who in jail have written wonderful books i mean even us let's say at a very ordinary level we are you know taking a walk and we are living in a world of ideas or deep emotions have we seen that something happens physically and we don't get to know because we are now engaged in another world but of course if we are engaged in a world of emotions and thoughts we are still vulnerable to suffering because it's still the circle of ignorance so we take another level that let us find a way to attach ourselves to that greater deeper self so instead of trying to detach and enter into a formless state put this energy of attachment towards the greater deeper self so it can be you know turning to the master turning to the mantra turning to a deity it doesn't matter or a state of consciousness but if the more we do it the more we'll begin to live in that state where like bulesha we can say teri talwar ke niche mein nachiyan karke thaiya thaiya so you know even though my every drop of my blood is uh, you know you are wielding a sword and every uh, you know making bits and pieces making keema out of me but with every drop of blood i say tere uh, i am so much in delight teri talwar ke niche mein nachiyan kehke thaiya thaiya so this is a possibility but instead of trying to detach into something vague attach you know that in fact bulesha's story that he went to uh, to a to a master to ask him that uh, i want to understand uh, spiritual life how do i what do i practice how, how should i do it so the master he was you know doing some farming thing plucking out weeds or sowing seeds so he kept asking and he would not do anything so after great um, when he was pushed to a point the master says what is there so complicated athe chug athe rakh punjabi pick up from here put it there pick up the concentration and attention from here and put it there as simple as that so now there if we take it vague formless abstract very difficult so there are representations images mantras forms name and form idea all is the divine this is an idea the more we concentrate on this the more we automatically it will happen because the consciousness is now there it is identified with the divine and it can be so much identified that you know as in the case of raman maharishi and there are other yogis where operation was done without hypnosis completely could disengage and i know in shirbindo ashram this i think was it amal kiran whose eyes was operated and he completely went out of the body he said no need for anesthesia why because you you right now consciousness is involved see the trick is to understand consciousness and phenomena to uh, two sides of one reality let me put it like that but for practical purposes we should learn to separate we think phenomena consciousness is an epiphenomena 
बट नो फेनोमिनल वर्ल्ड इज द एक्सप्रेशन ऑफ कॉन्शियसनेस दैट्स वॉट स्पिरिचुअल लाइफ इज अबाउट सो कॉन्शियसनेस इज इंडिपेंडेंट एंड प्राइमरी we can extract it out put it elsewhere and we experience it isn't it depending on the mood we are today morning we feel wow wonderful why because consciousness is identified with one thing in the evening the same wow wonderful changes into glumpy and gloomy because the consciousness is identified with another state so our consciousness can identify with states domains levels objects persons events circumstances and so on and so forth so it's all a question of where we identify our consciousness with in the beginning habitually we get identify with the body so that is called dehe atma bodh but we can by practice identify it with thoughts or with the highest thought because we have to start with something within this magic circle so take the highest thought highest thought can be divine soham asmi tattvam asi omkar anything or a form a deity but when we start concentrating on that slowly we are completely detached from this and we become identified with that so this is the process it's a reverse identification yes thinking yourself selfish when on the other side we can help others like in the cage only selfish to renunciate everything to find oneself yes so first step is to find oneself we can help only when we are free of the cage you know otherwise we'll be like birds all inside the cage and saying that you know there is freedom out there <laughs> so we have <laughs> imagine sitting inside the jail and we are all wondering ki you know this is not a good place but we have heard what there is a sky oh is it where have you heard oh my scriptures tell me now scriptures don't help us become free scriptures are only to show us they are indicative they are needed so then if somebody is actually gone out and enters the jail you know there are movies like that that they plant a man who is a man of the uh, cbi he is enters the jail and he says i am going to take you out because i know the way <laughs> so you have to first discover your own freedom till we discover that we cannot take the next step of helping and freeing others but we can stop at our own freedom it's given to man but it will be a very selfish escape so this we can choose uh, there are paths where one is free and says i can't help it people want to remain bound let them remain bound this one kind of thought but somebody else may say well they are bound because they are bound by nature it's not their fault so let me do extend myself into helping that ignorance both impulses are valid and uh, we all understand which is the greater impulse to help everyone emerge out but first we must emerge out that should be the first focus even if we are helping even though we have not yet fully emerged the first stress should be that unless i come out it may look selfish but there is no other way i mean if i am a sick person i can't help somebody so i must be discover the cure i must be myself in a healthy state supposing a doctor goes around treating tuberculosis patient and they say doctor saab aap to you are looking very lean thin you are appetite not why what is the problem doctor says i am very sick and the patients will ask him that what are you sick by and the doctor says i am suffering unfortunately from the same disease which you have called tuberculosis so patient will says doctor saab pehle apna ilaj kar lo so you know it's not selfishness it is the first step to become free but next step is to free everyone not just free i said even go further 
ट्रांसफॉर्म दिस अर्थली लाइफ फ्रीडम इज पॉसिबल विदाउट ट्रांसफॉर्मिंग दिस अर्थली लाइफ बट देन इट मेक्स एन एब्जर्विटी ऑफ दिस होल क्रिएशन ट्रांसफॉर्म मैटर स्टिल ग्रेटर प्रोजेक्ट एंड वी आर हेयर टू डू चैलेंजिंग थिंग्स वाई शुड वी यू नो फील बैड वी शुड बी हैप्पी दैट वी शुड टेक अप चैलेंजेस वट वट्स देयर इन लाइफ द ग्रेटर द चैलेंज मीन्स द ग्रेटर द ग्रेस आफ्टर ऑल नॉट एवरीबडी इज गिवेन ए चैलेंज ओनली द ओनली समबडी लाइक अर्जुना इज टोल्ड टू फाइट द ग्रेट कुरुक्षेत्र बैटल so like that yes so to procreate is nature's will and not the divine will divine will can act directly or it can act through the will of nature to procreate no you are saying okay so now there is a lesser play of nature and there is a higher play higher play is supernature a higher kind of nature of which right now we seek but we are not aware of but there is an inferior play where we are learning you know it's like a shadow game let me put it like that before somebody plays the real test match one goes through training so the inferior play of nature is created to train ourselves through all the ups and downs and disappointments and pleasures and pain for the real play the real play has not yet started so procreation is inferior play here also divine will is operating for the baby soul an infant is given a toy kya toy have a bachcha offspring play with the offspring but what is the real offspring the birth of a new consciousness now you see is it that's how it is now in the inferior play i'll remain what i am i won't change i have a child child will compel me to change little bit every child will compel the parents to change you want to change bring a child so, but a very difficult way to change it'll bring patience perseverance tolerance all the unconditional love everything blah 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 so this is one inferior play it's what is the child doing making you do yoga you don't want to do yoga you have a child child will make you do yoga so he'll teach you patience teach you perseverance teach you equanimity night he will get up pass urine you can't say i don't care you will get up he'll teach you what is true love if your wife says that you know i am having a pain you'll say you sleep chup chap pick up disprint from the drawer but when a child says you don't say that so this is the inferior play but there is a higher play a greater play in which we can enter which is the next step of, of our evolution so procreation changes into new creation the offspring which was like a physical embodied being can change into psychological offsprings like with teachers they talk about manas putra and psychological offspring can change into spiritual offsprings where the the spiritual person endowed with spiritual energy or a divine soul can reproduce itself into numberless bodies that's how the gurus and masters they become parents more than parents so it just diverting that energy from the shadow play the inferior game to higher and higher modes of the same play yes next one Yes, what is new creation? To start with, it means a creation based on unity. It's a very good question. Right now, the creation based on division, and that is the root of all suffering. Me, this, that, all is separate, separate, separate. In new creation, there will be a continuous sense of unity. Like, uh, you, you know, if we take an example of modern physics, whether it is separate, separate particles, or whether there is one continuum wave. So, 
न्यू क्रिएशन इज ए स्टेट ऑफ यूनिटी इट इज ए स्टेट वेन एवरी एम्बॉडीड बींग विल एक्सपीरियंस वास्टनेस He will no more be limited in this conception, that conception. So it's a state in which our mind will live automatically in a synthetic uh, totality. The third aspect of this new creation is the emergence of new faculties. As I said, new way of knowing directly. It's an intuitive way of knowing, where even our morality will no more be confined within this framework. Already we see this trans-moral approaches which are coming up, but it will enter into a phase where. we will decide not society or religion or a textbook what i should be the sense of morality ethics will spring up from the urge towards the beautiful and the true and this what we are seeing today the shift towards a more intuitive subjective way of knowing similarly our hearts our love will no more be the old kind of division based love where you know we have cabins compartment but something which is much vaster and of course it will be based in matter similarly our life right now we have to struggle to achieve something now when we live in a self existent delight then what will be the uh, the the work of work the work will be an expression of the delight of our being it will be an extension of the joy within all work will be play and play the only work if you want to put it a line from savitri right now work is a means for livelihood because through livelihood we'll get some money we'll have a comfortable life but a person who has found the ease and peace and delight within will he not work he will work but he'll work because there is in within him the delight the creative urge which must express in a certain way and because he is contributing this energy to the world the world will sustain him there will be whatever way money itself will change lot of changes we'll see in the collective levels but he will be sustained but he'll not live for that sustenance because the work has become a means of expressing delight just imagine what a big shift the body itself eventually will escape the law of degeneration and death because right now the body itself lives in a state of self and not self take an example in the initial uh, few decades before air travel came up people lived in a mohalla if they went to a nearby village and came back they would have diarrhea why because wo dusra gaon mein gaye the wahan ka pani pee liya tha unka ghar ka khana acha nahi tha then air travel started then people who would come all the way from america first thing they would look for is bisleri bottle now because of this constant movement the body is becoming more adapted and plastic to different kinds of food different kinds of energy even the fallout of all kinds of ozone layer this that hundred impacts on the body till one day the body itself will discover its own means plasticity and wideness to absorb all these energies and transmute it it will no more will dealing with it as a pathogen i must fight but it will deal with things which come from outside it will know the law of oneness so it will assimilate and transmute it you know there is a very interesting book written by an oncologist on this which is called as love miracle and medicine so if possible get hold of this book where it says even some of the lectures of dr hegde i haven't heard one or two but very interesting concepts that treat the body even the organisms with compassion with with the energy of love and change it it's possible for love but we don't have that energy of love we have instead attachment so that's why we give up so this energy of love when it begins to work on the body cells on the mind in our relationship with the world around everything changes we will not deal with environment the way we deal today we will not deal with um, people around or animals the way we deal today 
It is all an ego-based, desire-driven society, world we live in. But when there is love and not ego and I'm love in the true sense, not human love in the uh, ambit of the ego is something very different. But love in the true sense, it will create the sense of unity. We don't have to tell somebody, share your goodies with others. How do we do it with brothers? We don't have to think that, you know, I must share it. There is a spontaneous impulse. Of course, brothers can also fight, but that's different. But similarly, when we live in the state of oneness and unity, many ills which we today want to correct, the ideal of brotherhood, unity, equality, all these dreams will be fulfilled. Because we'll experience delight inside, we will not suffer because of external situations, circumstances which are changing. We'll take delight in everything. We know that death doesn't exist. Even the challenge of disease will not, you know, make us frightened and trembling. We can go through any situation and circumstance with the same delight. And this delight will help. It will also help in healing. When we look at a patient, we'll not say, Oh my God, miserable you are, sorry, you know, but you have just few days. We'll say like Shonak Rishi to Parikshit. What is death? It is nothing. Wake up to your true self. And because you have discovered it, it will have an impact. You can't say it from a rule book that you know it is written in the Gita. It won't help. But when we live that consciousness and tell a patient, look you are Sachidanand Brahm wearing a human mask. Come. Live in that state. It has an impact. So the whole life, and this is just the beginnings. Some of them I've already said about the man-woman relationship. It will change into a just a mode of being. Even there will be a movement towards gender equality, um, equality at every level, which we see happening. Political systems will change into a divine anarchy and divine communism simultaneously. Right now we cannot conceive where democracy and a benevolent uh, sovereign, they will become one. And I can explain all this, but it will be a, you know, whole seminar in its own right. But these are just hints. Money will change completely from something very physical to something which is more subtle. It will be like an exchange of energies. We are moving in that direction. So the future of the world will be a huge spiritual commune where we discover the one self in all beings. So, I mean, lot of beautiful things. Wonderful things. Yes. Just the promo. This is just a little two-minute trailer. <laughs> Picture baki hai dost. <laughs> yes. There are past memories which comes up to the surface and gives pain and quantity. Yeah. Memories. Yeah. They are very big problem. <laughs> memories. <laughs> memories because of they pull us back to the level of attachment. So what do we do when past memories come up? There are two ways of dealing with it. One is we deal with them in the same way as we were, say 10 years back, there was a painful event. So if we are in the same state of consciousness, it will give pain. That means we have not progressed because of the pain. But if we progress, we can look upon the same thing. And then we will discover that my whole response, my whole reactions are reactions and responses of ignorance. And it can go to an extent where moment to moment we are free. You know, the story of somebody who came and uh, abused Buddha and Buddha just smiled and he went away. Night he felt very bad because the whole memory came up. 
Next day he goes and says, Buddha, I am sorry. Buddha smiles and says, for what? He said, because I abused you. So he says, but you are not the same person. So you see, by a growth of consciousness, we can understand whatever happened in our life from a new standpoint. We can understand. I mean, I know of a lady who says, tells me at, on nearing six months before she died. She says, today I have forgiven my husband. Now she was separated more than 30 years back. So I said, this is good news. But what happened? She said, I realized the great truth of the Gita. Foreigner lady. Uh, Russian. But Russians are mystics. So she said, you know, the Gita says, Yandra Runini Maya, we are all driven mechanically on a wheel. So I discovered after, today I have discovered, he was also bound to his nature, poor fellow, not his fault. So I said, thank you. See, she was waiting for me that, you know, I have something precious to tell you. Because she had made a discovery. Now imagine it took her 30 years to complete a journey that look, human beings are bound by their nature. So when we blame and complain, we are giving too much burden, importance to people. We don't need to give them so much importance that because of you I got hurt. Rather we should say, who are you to hurt me? I got hurt because I looked at an event in a certain way, but now I look at it very differently. In fact, I have compassion for you. <laughs> that you could be like this. You too grow up. That would be the right response. And there could be many other responses. Somebody who has pained us, we can pray for that person. Because how much that person is suffering? When a snake bites you, he is living in a state of complete terror and fear. So you don't say, oh snake, I am angry with you, forever I will carry a grudge. You will tell a snake, look, your destiny is to be at the feet of Shiva. So, so, <laughs> so people who hurt others are very miserable creatures, okay? So don't, don't carry grudges. Uh, this is an illness called grudgeitis. When memories come up, look at them from a new vantage point, from a higher and vaster. But naturally, it cannot happen by intellectually saying. That's why practice widening, deepening, heightening of consciousness, so that when the time comes, it can be applied. Otherwise, through a counseling session, this is the process. Start looking at things from a different standpoint. One last question, maybe, because we have another session. Yeah. Take another question. This menstruation thing we have already discussed. <laughs> okay, this is a good question. With that we can end. The process of matter being divinized. I have already spoken about it. See, matter is what? It is a vehicular reservoir. It is a black box. A magic box. What all was not there within it? There was life within it and started to emerge. When you know mountains began, mountains and rivers began to develop, moss. Something was hidden inside that has come up. Then what was hidden inside life, mind it began to emerge. It's an interesting box. And what is more hidden inside? Spirit that has become to emerge. In people like you know all of you and many other all over the world, there is an earth for something higher, something deeper. But when this begins to emerge, when life begins to emerge, does it discard matter? No, it uses matter, adapts matter to manifest life through matter. So matter begins to fly. What is this bird? It is a rock flying. We can say it and we will be equally right. 
it is matter isn't it but something has been added to matter and matter has adapted to that matter has begun to reproduce matter has begun to run and crawl and fly similarly what really is man thinking we can say it is matter which has begun to think but what has happened matter is adapted to the human consciousness and it has developed instruments so that thought can be processed so similarly the next step is the spiritual evolution if we allow matter to hold this spiritual energy and that's what is needed now in the next phase that those who experience the divine consciousness or at least the higher states of consciousness should continue to live a material existence not run away from this into forest monasteries etc and then over a period of time as this number of people will grow and matter will be compelled to adapt it will develop centers within itself what kind of chain we are yet to you know we can enter into a fantasy land Uh, as much fantastic as you know more fantastic than the gap between uh, chimpanzee and human being but surely the body at some point will begin to adapt as this states higher states of consciousness spiritual energy begins to stay in matter it doesn't want to escape so as a result matter will undergo modification the human cells will undergo mod- modifications and eventually a new organism a new being with a new body and mother has spoken about it as a luminous body with spontaneous immunity plasticity capacity for bilocation trilocation all these things will come up but uh, this will be the essence so there will be no disease no degeneration because the nature of spirit is no disease no degeneration so matter will the body rather the bodily life will be like that no disease no degeneration forever youthful immortal literally if you want to put it like that does it mean one will stay in the same body forever no one may want to leave it but this will be a collective change it cannot be an individual change so a certain number of individuals what is called as the tipping point have to reach that maybe after 300 years 400 years mother spoke of that when suddenly we'll see because a certain number of individuals like the first few chimpanzees declared awed by their fellows suddenly found refuge in the feet of rama and changed into a super monkey so similarly some human beings who will suddenly not knowing what to do they are different 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 <laughs> suddenly take refuge in the divine and they change into super humanity of tomorrow okay so this is in nutshell i am so sorry i have another webinar uh, in a you know few more minutes thank you so much thank you thank you thank you